Welcome to the Maranatha Baptist Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this sermon from God's Word will be a blessing to you and will grow your love for Jesus Christ. We would encourage you to use it only as a supplement to your regular intake of God's Word in your local church. If you need help connecting with a local church, please reach out to us on our website, mbcgrimes.org. I hope your heart is filled with thankfulness today. If not, maybe as we unpack the grace of God from the scriptures, uh, you'll be reminded of the reasons your heart has to be thankful today. We serve a gracious God. He is abundant in His grace and kindness toward us. And it's that very grace that fuels and uh, drives our generosity to others. It's the grace of God that makes us a gracious people. And so as we study this text today, we're going to learn what it really means to be a blessed people. Maybe you've seen that tagline on uh, posts, whether that's on Facebook or Instagram or wherever else uh, you might encounter those those things, right? Hashtag blessed, you might see. And there's all sorts of uh, ideas that surround that idea of being blessed, right? Maybe somebody would post something like that after something really happy happens in their life. Or maybe you saw it after a recent post, you know, everybody was together for Christmas and so hashtag blessed, right? Uh, we, We might attach that to all sorts of things in our lives. But after today's passage, I want you to think of that idea of being blessed as being attached to the grace of God in your life. That's what it means to be blessed. If you have the grace of God in your life, that is God's blessing to us. And that being, being blessed by God is what then drives and fuels our grace, our generosity, being a blessing to others uh, around us as well. It all begins with God's kindness. And so as we work down through this text, you may remember the Apostle Paul is writing to the Corinthian believers and he's encouraging them to participate in this blessing, in this gift for the Jerusalem church that is really suffering hardship. The believers there were under persecution and so, you know, we could imagine maybe they'd been fired from their jobs or whatever else and so they were poor, they didn't have enough So Paul's going around to the churches and trying to raise funds to help them. In last week's passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he gave the example of the Macedonian church that even in their their poverty, they gave generously to this need in Jerusalem. So now he's encouraging the Corinthian believers to complete their gift. And so again, last week we studied chapter 8, verses 1 through 15, and the ways he encouraged God's grace to compel their giving. In the rest of chapter 8, he talks to them about the delegates he's sending, Titus and a few others that will help them to collect this gift and deliver it. Then at the beginning of chapter 9, he, he urges them to be ready to give so that by the time Paul arrives, he can uh, take the gift with him and bring it back to the Jerusalem church as soon as possible to meet their needs. And now in chapter 9, verses 6 through 15, he's on that same theme of that gift to the Jerusalem church, but he's encouraging them to look at the results of their giving. We can almost see the closing part of chapter 9 as this cycle. It's all about God's grace. 
He began chapter 8 by describing how it's God's grace that fuels our giving. And so that kind of becomes what begins to drive the cycle of giving. And so then the, the Corinthians would be generous and they would give to the Jerusalem church and that would result in benefit for them. But here in chapter 9, we see the back end of that cycle, how that their giving results in more grace, that as they give, God's grace just continues to abound, meeting not only the Corinthians' needs, but the needs of the Jerusalem church, but not just material needs, that that grace abounds in thanksgiving to God, that more people uh, smell the aroma of God's grace through their generosity. So there's just a number of really neat uh, pictures here of that cycle of grace now as we look at kind of the, the results of giving and what it means to give as one who has been blessed by the giver. How do we give as those who are blessed by the giver? And you'll notice I put it in the present tense, to give as one who is blessed by the giver. Now, the, the chapter ends with that great verse, right? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And so we could just put this in the past tense, right? God gave us his son. We were blessed with that. And so that should compel all of our giving. But actually what this passage emphasizes is that God is continuing to give to us. He's continuing to enrich our lives with his grace. And so in our theme, I've put it in the present tense because it is an ongoing thing. We are those who are continuing to be blessed by God. Now, we often think of blessed in our own terms, right? That I get what I want, that my circumstances go my way. No, no, no. That's not what being blessed means. Being blessed is the grace of God in your life. And as we unpack this text, I think you're going to understand more clearly what that is and what that looks like to give as one who is blessed by the giver. So how do we do that? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul is going to unpack in our text today. How do we give as those who are being blessed by the giver? First of all, you'll notice that we give with joy because God supplies, multiplies, and enriches all generosity. It begins, it's increased, and it continues to the work of God. It's His generosity that does it all. And so because God takes care of it, we can give with joy. We're free to give with joy. God supplies, multiplies, and enriches all generosity. Now, you're going to notice in these verses, we're going to have a number of truths, uh, principles that give us the foundation to trust this truth, that God supplies, multiplies, and enriches all generosity. The first principle comes in verse 6, and it's not new to us. It's uh, based in agriculture. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully, or with, with blessings is actually what the phrase means. Now, this is an obvious uh, principle in life. It's just a wisdom principle. It comes up all through Scripture in the Proverbs a couple times, comes up in the Gospel of Luke, and the idea is that if you sow a lot of seed, you'll have more harvest. If you don't sow very much seed, you'll have less harvest, right? It's, it feels very obvious, doesn't it? But the principle is important, that if we withhold generosity, then there won't be much generosity that comes back around to us. And it's a principle that not only applies to agriculture, but now the Apostle Paul is applying this wisdom to the principle of generosity. 
that when we sow generously, when we give generously, we'll also reap many blessings as well. Now, we need to be careful not to take this as a promise. That's true in the agricultural world as well. You could sow a bunch of seed, but then a drought comes through or a hailstorm or whatever else, and you don't end up reaping bountifully that year, right? It's a wisdom principle, but it applies as well to generosity, and that's a neat starting place for us. God has built the world to work in such a way that when we give generously, the idea is we will also reap generously. And so, he continues with more principles that help us understand this idea of generosity. He says in verse 7, because of that principle, let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. So, so based on the fact that a generous God has built generosity into the way the world works, he says, give from your heart with purpose. That's the application. We should each be giving. Now, there are a few basic principles that come along with this, right? It's, it's from the heart, which means that it's, it's a personal decision between us and the Lord. And it also says that it's with purpose. So, this isn't just this whims, you know, it's just like, uh, all of a sudden I feel like doing this, so I'll do this. And, no, we've, we've thought it through. It's, it's decided. It's purposeful. It's intentional. It's between me and the Lord, and it's something I've decided. It's also said it's not supposed to be uh, grudgingly. That has to do with this internal reluctance to give something up, right? It's like, like prying something out of someone's hands. I guess I'll give, right? It also says it's not supposed to be of necessity. That's more the outward side of things, that people are pressuring me, like, oh, we really need this. Come on, you've got to give. Neither one of those are to be a part of our giving process. Now, if I find those things in my heart, it doesn't mean that I just stop giving. It means that I change my attitude. And that's actually the point of verse 7. He's saying, God loves a cheerful giver, so make that your attitude. When you purpose in your heart to give to the Lord, do it with delight. Do it with gladness. Now, that begs the question, why in the world could we give with gladness? Well, remember, it's based on the principle of verse 6, because we have a generous God who's built into the act of giving this general principle that as we sow generously, we will also reap generously, the cycle of grace. So, we can trust God and therefore give with joy. I don't have to worry about sacrificing or giving to others because I have a generous God who's built generosity into the way the world works. And so I can give with joy. But then we come to verse 8, and now the, the principles and promises get even richer and deeper. Check this verse out. If you haven't come across this verse before, this is one of the most powerful verses in Scripture. I'm going to read it slowly, and as I read it, I want you to notice the superlatives. Superlatives are words like every, all, always, things like that, okay? So just watch for those as I read. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. 
Okay, I made that a little too obvious, maybe, but did you catch all the superlatives in that verse? This is a verse about the incredible, surpassing sufficiency and abundant supply of God's grace. The word always is in there, which means that there is never a time that you will be short on God's grace. There's never a time that you won't have enough for what's going on. You will always have all sufficiency in all things. So there's, there's no exception to that. All things are included, meaning whatever you're facing, whatever you're going through, God's grace is always sufficient for every kind of thing you might face. On top of that, it's not just sufficient, but the verse actually says that you may have an abundance for every good work. God's grace is so sufficient that we actually have an overflow so we can do good in the lives of others. We have an abundance for good works in the lives of others. Talk about powerful grace. This verse reminds us that God supplies all we need for the Christian life. His grace is not just sufficient for me, but actually overflows from my life so that I can show His grace to other people around me. When we trust the grace of God, we can give with joy. Right? His grace reminds me that I'm taken care of. God's grace is present in my life, so I have all that I need, so I can actually focus on giving to others. This is what God's grace does. Well, as we continue in this section, verse 9 points out another principle. This one comes from the Old Testament, in fact, from Psalm 112, verse 9. Uh, Paul says, as it is written, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He's uh, quoting a psalm that that portrays for us the righteous man, how, how the righteous person lives. And this particular note about the righteous man is that he's a very generous person. The righteous man uh, disperses abroad, meaning he, he gives of his resources to many. He, he cares for the poor. But that final phrase is the key, his righteousness endures forever. This alludes to God's reward for our generosity God rewards generosity with eternal righteousness, a reward from God that endures for eternity. So actually, as we think back to verse 6, right, sow generously, reap generously, one of the ways that that happens is that God has built an eternal reward into our generosity. As we give to others, God gives eternal rewards for that giving when it's for His glory. So that's one of the ways that we reap bountifully. This, what is called here, his righteousness endures forever. That's kind of a neat part of giving. There's, there's always actually a, a bountiful reward for our giving to others. Sometimes I like to think of it in these terms. When we, when we give, we actually have the opportunity to turn, you know, paper money. You can imagine a dollar bill up here, right? That's often wrinkled and and, and fading and smells funny and makes you want to wash your hands after you touch it, right? And, but you can turn a, a fading dollar bill into eternal money by using it to give. Isn't that interesting? God has built into the act of generosity eternal riches. And that's a wonderful truth. 
But it's not just eternal riches. Notice what verse 10 goes on to describe. Now may he who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed for you that you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. Now there's a lot going on here, but let's just break it down quickly. It again brings glory to God. God is the one who supplies seed to the sower. So we're going back to the beginning of the cycle now where we're tossing the seed out and Paul's reminding us, well, hey, where did that seed come from in the first place? <laughs> came from God. God is the supplier at the very beginning. He supplies seed to the sower, but not only that, He supplies and multiplies the seed you have sown. So God continues to provide. As we give generously, God multiplies that seed. He continues to provide for our needs. We don't have to be worried about giving because we have a supplying God. He multiplies the seed. But on top of that, Paul says that he increases the fruit of your righteousness. So now you have all stages of the agricultural world here, right? You have sowing the seed, you have God supplying more seed so he can keep sowing, but then you have the end of it too, the fruit, the harvest of righteousness. Now I think in verse 10, this could be talking about that eternal reward, but I think when it talks about fruit, and especially with that agricultural uh, terminology, I think he's even talking about the, the fruit that they will see in this life. The benefits, and he'll go on to describe that in, in uh, the following verses, how the saints in Jerusalem will be encouraged by this. That's immediate fruit from their generosity. So Paul is acknowledging that God is at work in every part of this to supply so that we can give, that as we give, He's multiplying the resources we have to give, that He's increasing the fruit of our generosity that's effective in its task and, and helps others to glorify God and to praise Him. And this is, of course, all summarized well in verse 11, the last verse of this first section. While you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. There we have some superlatives again, right? As they give in this way, he uses the word while, you are also being enriched in everything. Why? For all liberality. So as the Corinthians give, Paul says, they're being enriched in every way, in everything. Not, not just financially, right? But this is, they're, they're growing. And I love that word enriched because it, it's more than just finances, but that their life as a whole is just enriched by God. They're growing spiritually. They're becoming more like Christ. There's joy and peace and grace just flowing out of their lives. They're, they're just an enriched people because of their generosity. And God is enriching them more why? For all liberality. That word liberality means generosity, so that the cycle can continue. So what you have is actually this upward spiral that actually kind of gets faster and faster as it goes, and it's all fueled by God's grace. He supplies at the beginning so that we even have something to give. And as that spiral goes around, we begin to be generous. And as, as we're generous, God's grace continues to meet our needs. And he, 
supplies what we need so we can continue to give and then others are blessed by that grace and then it just gains momentum as that spiral goes upward and it all brings glory to God. Grace upon grace upon grace. It's just a cool description of how the grace of God is at work in the lives of His people. And because God's grace is the way it is, because He supplies and multiplies and enriches all generosity, we're free to just give with delight. We just take joy in in being a blessing to others because God has been such a blessing to us. You don't have to worry about whether we're going to have enough or if it's going to be okay or what's going to happen. We instead can, in our hearts, talk to the Lord and consider, okay, Lord, how would you have me to use the resources you've given to me? What, what purposes would you have me to direct uh, these funds and, and so forth? But friends, this doesn't just impact funds. It impacts actually any way that God has been gracious to us. In fact, you could say it this way, as God has shown his grace to you, share that grace with others. And so you might begin to think through, how has God been gracious to me? Right? Maybe God has shown encouragement to me from his word recently. If so, I encourage you to share that encouragement with somebody else. Tell them how the word encouraged you and maybe see if that same verse is an encouragement to them. Maybe God's grace has brought conviction of sin into your life recently. That God's help is in the form of a passage of scripture that helped you to see that you were sinning. Or or maybe a dear friend who's pointing out to you how you're not walking in the way of Christ. That grace is a help to you in your time of need. And so maybe share with somebody else how God's grace helped you to see where you were wrong and how you needed to get right. Maybe God's grace has come into your life as as strength to get through a recent trial. Share that grace with somebody else. Help them in their time of need. Maybe God's grace has shown up as forgiveness in your life. You sinned, and as you confessed your sin to him, you're reminded that God's grace has forgiven you once again. And so be ready to show that same forgiveness to somebody else. This is the pattern of grace, that as God has bestowed grace upon me, I'm ready to bestow that grace upon others. And that cycle of grace just gains momentum and spirals upward to the glory of God. We can give with joy because God supplies, multiplies, and enriches all generosity. The key to this first section is the promised provision of God. We trust what he says. We trust that he will give that grace. It's not a feeling. and It's not getting what we want. That's not what it looks like. It's the steady provision of God promised to be sufficient in every scenario, in everything we face, and at all times. And so giving always involves a degree of trust, where in letting go of something, we have to trust the grace of God to be sufficient for me without this thing, without this thing. Giving is therefore sometimes difficult for us, hard to let go of the things we have and give to others. But when we remember the grace of God, we're able to do it more readily. 
I tend to treasure things that I have a little too much. I've been this way as long as I can remember anyway. Uh, let me give you one uh, sort of funny example of that. I had a football that I really liked that I got in, I don't know, late elementary school, early junior high, somewhere in there. It's a Nerf Vortex football. And uh, I didn't know it at the time. It was actually an Iowa Hawkeyes colors black with had three gold whistles on it and then a tail that came out with some fins on it so that you could throw with like a perfect spiral every time. Oh, man, love that football. I treasured that football so much. I'd play with it, yes, but always carefully. Never on the concrete, always on the grass, so that if I missed a throw, it wouldn't get scratched up on the concrete. I know, a little bit crazy, but it was a cool football, okay? That thing lasted me for years. In fact, I still have it. <laughs> so, in a, in a somewhat recent uh, time period, uh, we had some people over in our home, and they were looking for something to do, and so I thought, oh man, they will love this football. And so I shared my football with them and just kind of assumed that it would be treated with the same love and treasuring that I had treated it for so many years. Well, they played with a football as a football should be played with, right? They played football. And a football with a tail gets treated a little differently when you play football with it, right? All of a sudden, it was being pulled and grabbed and yanked from all different directions by the tail, and it wasn't long until I discovered my football had been somewhat ripped to shreds. I thought to myself, wow, like 35 years I had this thing. No, not quite. But anyway, uh, I had this thing for years, and it survived in uh, one outing, and suddenly it's destroyed, you know, so there's a little bit of my heart that broke. No, I'm teasing. It's just a football, right? And then I remembered, I'm an adult. (laughs) I could buy another football. (laughs) So I checked online, this is all true, (laughs) to see how much they were. It's like 10 bucks on Amazon. Fantastic. Click, (laughs) right? Easy enough, another football came in the mail. And yes, it really is true. One of my Christmas gifts this year was a Vortex football, right? So now I have two. So feel free to come over and trash my footballs. I have an abundant supply. It's a funny story. Once we realize we have plenty of resources, we're not as concerned about our things, right? Like a football. Like, "Ah, I can just get another one. So sure, play with it however you want. As a kid, we tend to treasure those things. How can I ever get one like it, you know? But as we have resources, they're like, oh, well, I guess it's not that big of a deal. The principle is so tiny compared to the grace of God in our lives. Because when we remember a promise like verse 8 or, or verses 10 and 11, that God is our supplier and that His grace is sufficient, it reminds us that we, we shouldn't be so tight-fisted with the things we have. Now, there's the principle of stewardship. God has entrusted these things to us, and so, of course, we, we should be careful with them, and we should be responsible with those things. But when God moves in our hearts to be generous, we need not fear, because we have the abundant, unfailing, abounding supply of the all gracious God behind us in that generosity. 
and his supply is rich. And so because he supplies and multiplies and enriches all generosity, we just get to give with joy. Like, sure, have it, enjoy, be blessed, because God has been such a blessing to me. This is the grace of God. It frees us and empowers us to give with joy. Not only that, number two today, we see that we can give with grace so that thanksgiving abounds to the giver. This is what we're going to see in verses 12 through 15. And you're going to notice the themes of grace and thanksgiving come up back and forth in these verses. There's just this multiplying of giving of thanks to God. And, and you know how those words are connected, right? When somebody does something gracious to you, when they do something kind, when they favor you, you tend to say, thanks back. The words are related to that idea of something gracious. In fact, in our final verse, when the Apostle Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift, literally the word is actually grace. Grace to God for his indescribable gift. They're, they're very related in this text. And so as we give, our giving ought to just be covered with God's grace because that's where it came from in the first place. And as we give in that way, then God is the one who receives the praise. Our, our giving is gracious. Our giving has the aroma of God's grace. Notice how Paul describes it in these verses here. Verse 12, Paul says, For the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. He points out two things here. He calls it the administration of this service. In all Paul does, he really doesn't talk about money a whole lot. He just talks about this as a, as a ministry, a service to the saints in Jerusalem. And he does point out that it does supply their needs, but he quickly gets to the bigger deal. It's abounding through many thanksgivings to God. The work of the churches to provide for the Jerusalem church is resulting in many givings of thanks to be given to the Father in heaven. You know, this, this isn't just an, an internal cycle that exists on earth where we just continually thank people. But the grace is from God, supplies and motivates our giving, and the thanks returns to God. It brings Him glory as our giving has the aroma of His grace. Paul breaks it down for us further in verse 13. Notice what he says. While through the proof of this ministry, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. This ministry, the, the gift, has become a proof of something the proof of this ministry. What has it proved? Well, he explains, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ. Their generosity is proving the fact that they really have believed the gospel. And this relates to what was going on in the early church. Remember, there was a lot of division between Jews and Gentiles. And we talked last week about how the church in Jerusalem was 
probably largely a, a church of Jewish believers, some Gentiles there as well, but largely Jewish believers. The church in Corinth or in Macedonia would have been largely Gentile believers. And so there maintained a degree of suspicion. The Jews who had you know, seen themselves as followers of God for generations sort of looked on the Gentiles with, I don't know, I mean, they say they believe these things, but is this really true? But Paul's saying that their generosity actually becomes a physical evidence of the fact that they've believed the gospel. They confessed it, yes, but now they've obeyed the gospel. Obeyed the gospel? That's a strange phrase to us. What does it mean to obey the gospel? The gospel doesn't have any obedience in it. It's just trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and you're saved, right? Yes, salvation by faith. But the scriptures are also clear that the gospel compels us then to live a certain way, that having been saved by grace, we now live under grace. And the grace of God teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. So the grace of God begins to show itself in our lives as good works, doesn't it? Now, we don't do these good works to earn salvation. The salvation we've received by grace is lived out in good works. And so here Paul says, your obedience to the gospel has been seen in the fact that you're now generous with what you have. It's proof of your salvation. And not only met the physical needs of the Jerusalem church, but now has also been a spiritual encouragement to them because they see you now as genuine brothers and sisters in Christ. They see the gospel at work among you. And so Paul is describing how this brings glory to God because of their generous sharing with them and with others. The Jerusalem church is praising God for the saving work he's done among the Gentile believers in Corinth and in Macedonia. And so all of this results in praise to God. So then he says in verse 14, by their prayer for you who long for you because of the exceeding grace of God in you. So, so this has resulted in them praying for now their fellow believers. They even long for them. So where there was division, now there's love. There's desire for them. So this generosity has resulted not just in financial aid, but all sorts of spiritual fruit. There's love and peace and prayer. All these things going on between these sister churches now because of the grace of God through their generosity. Why? As the end of verse 14 says, because of the exceeding grace of God in you. It was all compelled by the grace of God. Their generosity had the aroma of the grace of God. And so as soon as the Jerusalem church received it, they said, oh yeah, that smells like the grace of God. God's grace has been at work in them. That's proof they've believed the gospel that these Gentile believers would be willing to ge be generous with us? They're our brothers and sisters in Christ. Let's pray for them. Oh man, can you imagine if we could, if we could see them someday, right? There's this longing for them. Why? Because they had the grace of God in common. And so Paul ends on that note of thanks and grace in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Talking first and foremost about his son, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, and specifically that that Son came to be our Savior, offering us salvation by faith because of the grace of God. So we give with grace so that thanksgiving abounds to the glory of the giver. There are a lot of things in our lives that have strong aromas. You're familiar with them, right? Uh, Maybe you've uh, eaten at a barbecue restaurant, right, where they smoke their meat, and uh, later that day you can smell that smoke on your clothing, right? Or maybe even more strongly, you've been around a bonfire roasting hot dogs or marshmallows or whatever. Nice to think about things like that this time of year. But at any rate, and then later that day, or honestly, maybe even the next couple days, you can even smell it on your hair, that smoke, or on the clothes you wore that night, right? Smells have a way of lingering. Maybe you've played the what's that smell in your home, right? Where you uh, come in the house one day, what is that? Do you smell that? I smell that. What is that? You know, so you begin searching the house, usually leading to the garbage can, right? Oh, yeah, we got to take that out. That's something bad in the trash can, right? Smell is a powerful thing. I watched a documentary recently about sniffing dogs and how they, you know, track down uh, fugitives and things like that. It's just incredible uh, the way that they can track a scent for miles and miles and miles and how each human has a unique uh, scent, almost like a fingerprint. Um, I think I'm maybe thankful that our sense of smell is not quite that acute. Um, but in any way, that they can track an individual unique human scent for miles and miles and miles and that it, it lingers there. And even in times of wind or even through water, they can still track that scent and find the specific human that they're tracking down. Smell is a strong thing. And I love that term, that, that aroma. In fact, it's here in 2 Corinthians that the Apostle Paul uses that idea and reminds us that we are to be the aroma of Christ everywhere we go. And though he doesn't use it in this specific passage, it's really what he's saying. That through our generosity, the aroma of God's grace would just be all through our generosity and giving. So that when people see the way we give, the way they see our, the grace in our lives, it's clear to them, ah, you know what, that's not them, that's God. That's God at work in their lives. That's God's grace. And so then God receives the glory and the thanks. This, of course, all begins with gratitude for our salvation. And Paul references it here in this text, the obedience of the gospel It may be that if you find you're not a generous person, it it could be that you have an insufficient understanding of the gospel, that you're not fully aware of the indescribable nature of God's gift to you. At great risk of failing, let me try to describe it to you, though it's just been called indescribable. See, God, our creator, made us to live in perfect relationship with Him in paradise forever. We, mankind, represented by Adam and Eve, the first humans, decided to rebel against His perfection. In effect, we said to Him, we don't want to live your way, we want to live our way. We're going to live for ourselves. We said no to God and yes to our desires. And you remember the story in Genesis, Adam and Eve both ate of the forbidden fruit of the garden. As a result of that, 
what happened was exactly what God said would happen. They chose death over eternal relationship with God. And so Adam and Eve were cursed to die, not just to, be, uh, to face physical death, but to face eternal separation from God, to be under His wrath. And that death sentence has passed from human to human for all generations. Friends, we all live under the sentence of death for our sin. But God didn't leave things that way. God in His grace and in His love made a plan to send His Son, Jesus Christ. And God the Son chose to lay down His life for you. Jesus lived a perfect life. He never sinned, which made Him the perfect sacrifice. He had no sin of His own to bear. And so He could take the sins of the world upon His own shoulders. And when he died on the cross, he died in your place and he died in my place, paying for my sins so that the wrath of God could be satisfied. But he didn't stay dead. Jesus died in my place, but then he rose again. As God the Son, he conquered my sin and death. And he lives now forevermore. He ascended to the Father's right hand, showing visibly that His work was completed, and that He truly is a sufficient Savior for anyone who would place their faith in Him. Friend, that's the indescribable gift of God, God the Son coming to die in your place, the grace of God in the flesh, so that if today you would place your faith in Him, you can be saved from your sins. For by grace we are saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any of us could boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the grace of God in our lives. Friend, would you trust in God's grace, in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and receive that salvation today? And then if you've received that grace, give thanks to God for his indescribable gift. And as you begin to see his grace in your life, begin to show that grace to others. Begin to live in a way that your life bears the aroma of the grace of God, the aroma of His generosity, the aroma of His patience, the aroma of His forgiveness, the aroma of His love. See, these things are all the fruit of the Spirit, aren't they? He's given us His Spirit so that we can put these things on display. This isn't just some uh, message that's like, well, just do better at the Christian life. No, it's even dependent upon the grace of God. It's all dependent on the fact that you have God's Spirit. And because of that, verse 8 rings true. God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. Friend, whatever God is calling you to do today, whatever right next step you know the Lord wants you to take, I promise you, 
If you have God's spirit, if you're born again, you have all the power and the strength and the grace you need to take that step. You may not feel like it. You may not believe it, but it's true. God's grace is always sufficient. And so whatever God is calling you to do, you have all you need to do it. That's the kind of God we serve. If you need help, reach out. You have brothers and sisters in Christ around you who love you, who would love to help you in that task of obedience to the Lord. This is the grace of God. It fuels and multiplies and enriches and abounds to his praise and glory as we live in a way that spreads the aroma of his grace. I don't know where you're at today in your relationship with God, but let the generosity of God, the grace of God in your life move you to that next step to be the aroma of God's grace in the lives of others. I mentioned a number of ways already that that can take place in our specific context today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it's applied to the area of generosity. And so in light of this text, I ask you to consider, what ways has God been generous to me? How has He given me more than I deserve? And if He has, how can I show that same generosity to others? applying those same principles as we see in this text so that as we give, it has the aroma of God's grace and He receives the glory. Give with grace so that thanksgiving abounds to the giver. Let me close by pointing out a quotation from one commentator, Kent Hughes. He puts this well. What we must understand from this text is that Paul's call to be ready, willing, and generous is not a call to reach deep down within our beings and rise to the best that is within us. Rather, it is a call to authentically come to Christ in true belief and repentance. It's a call to contemplate Christ's giving as the example for our giving. His embrace of poverty that we might become rich is not a call to legalistic observance but to grace. As Paul's repeated mentions of grace emphasize the grace of God, the favor of taking part in the relief, complete among you this act of grace, excel in this act of grace, for you know the grace. As we carry out this act of grace, and finally God is able to make all grace abound to you in the surpassing grace of God. It is a call to rise to his best within us, to put his grace on display, and as we've put it today, to give as a people who are truly blessed by the grace of God. Father, we so thank you for your grace in our lives. We confess that the gift of your Son for our salvation is a gift that is beyond our ability to describe. We've made an attempt at it today, and so we ask that your word would just continue to increase our understanding of your grace. May we leave today a people who are thankful, who are just compelled by your kindness to us to show that grace to others. We ask for your help, and we trust that your grace is sufficient as we seek to bring, to bring you praise in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. 
Amen. Thanks for listening. For more resources, visit our website, mbcgrimes.org. May the word of Christ dwell in you richly, and to God be the glory.